What's up, Internet? You're tuning in episode 99 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast where a group of lifelong gamers get, to get together to talk about video games and news and how it all makes us feel. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined today, as always, by my ever-present co-host and antagonist, Mr. Andy Brown. You know, I want to say something mean, but I think, I think these are the last two weeks I'm going to be nice to you. I feel like that is a good, fitting way to end our feud. Growth. <laughs> I have a character There's... arc now. <laughs> uh, also joining us today, the Edgelord with the Heart of Gold, Mr. Robert Thompson. Hey, I'm using all your stuff, Pete. Thanks for the uh, microphone. I'm, I'm here. I'm actually here to talk. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I made it so. <laughs> and of course, the Guildmaster himself, the man I never found a better nickname for, Mr. Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. Uh, Andy, does it make sense to change at the end? Shouldn't you go out, you know, the way you've always been? Shouldn't we keep things consistent? This is spoken like a true Marvel fan. He wants to keep the status quo. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. No, I think we're, we're, we're ending, we're bringing it in for a landing. It's nice to have some positive growth. Just because the show has stopped doesn't mean that I have to stop growing, Sean. All right, fair enough. I think what fair this enough. shows is that in the extended VGP universe, in the, all the, the side tales that are going to take place in between the margins, between episode 100 and whenever we eventually reunite, you know, it's like that Andy went on to grow and change and become a better man than you ever saw. <laughs> I'm going to come back and it's going to be like, whoa, Andy can go Super Saiyan now too? Yeah, no, this is the real <laughs> Vegeta story. Like, this is straight up what happens was... Vegeta died, and we left it there at the Frieza saga, and that's how the show's gonna end. And we're gonna be like, what happened to Andy? He changed on the last minute. Is he gonna get revived? We have no idea. <laughs> my, my question is, who dies in the last episode of VGP? What? Oh, shit. Who's yeah, See, there you go. <laughs> Master plan of, of, of 100 episodes is coming together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hate to say it, but I gotta say, if I think if any of us are Krillin, it's Thompson. Yeah, Tom true. Thompson's the, the most noble. <laughs> Tom's the strongest human in the world. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm going out but he's, but he's like twice the size of Krillin. Oh yeah, but I'm I'm and also like not bald hair. either. I didn't shave my head. <laughs> so. You have the opposite hair and height, but otherwise, otherwise I'm no morally one. you're very similar to Krillin. I'll definitely die to an alien for sure. That's gonna be my fate. Thompson, very a robot. Your Krillin audition. Can you please give me a dramatic read of my mustache? <laughs> I just realized I'm going to be Mr. Satan. I'm going to think I'm awesome. Go to fight Cell and get towards <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, but again, I feel like the later part of Mr. Satan's storyline, I totally buy for Thompson, that he just, like, shysters himself <laughs> to save the world and also becomes friends with a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Tune in in two weeks for the first episode of our brand new show, uh, the What Dragon Ball Z character is Thompson Pals. Yeah, it's, it's, my, it's my dream, man. Oh, I thought you were going to say Video Game Pal Z. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been a better joke, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a, a jam-packed episode for, for episode 99 here. For the penultimate VGP, it's a, certainly a fitting week. So we're going to kick things off with, uh, you know, I think one of the bigger stories this week, which speaks volumes about how big this week was, the Nindies Showcase. So Nintendo came 
like ready to fucking party with 30 minutes about uh, of of Nindy stuff, which usually these these showcases are like a little brisker. So you knew that they had some stuff to show. Um, but to avoid us going through the entire 30 minutes of announcements, you know, I kind of wanted to do what we did last time where each of us just picks our, our highlights of the Nindy showcase. And then if you guys want to check it out for yourselves, uh, of course I have links down below to Wario 64's recap coverage of it, where you can see all the games that were showcased. Uh, but we're just going to focus on the ones that like we're most hype about. So I think let's, Start with the elephant in the room. They kicked it off with the announcement that Cuphead is indeed coming to Nintendo Switch. The rumors were true. Uh, they specifically called out our friends at Microsoft, which I thought was a pretty interesting, uh, interesting way to phrase that. And our uh, friends at fuck you, Sony. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, April eighteenth, man. Cuphead right around yeah. the corner. All of the DLC, and then it's coming alongside the patch that's going to allow you to play as like Mugman in single player and everything. So. Uh, really exciting news to finally see this this relationship, I guess, like proven, you know, that we've been talking about for so long. And I'm hyped to have Cuphead on Switch because I loved the game on my PC, but I hit a point with it where it was just not like I don't like playing single player games at my computer desk. So like I kind of fell out of it and I'm definitely excited to go back and try to like finish this fucking gauntlet. Like I want to beat Cuphead. Oh, God. Um, the Cuphead, like, the intro to that trailer was so fucking weird. It was <laughs> so unsettling. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to put on my protective face mask, and I was like, I'm, this guy's gonna murder me. He's gonna kill <laughs> yeah. me. I'm, like, I'm very <clears throat> sad, though, that it was Cuphead and not Ori first. I mean... Like, Cuphead's good, and I understand it, but Ori's just a straight-up better game. I feel like Cuphead <sighs> is, like, hot, though, still. Because it's like feels recent. Like I feel like people will get hyped for Ori, but Ori's like old now. Uh, Ori's got the sequel coming out. Hollow Knight's like the best-selling game in the history of the fucking Switch for some reason. Yeah, whatever. People love yeah. their indies. People do love their indies. Uh, it's gonna come. You can capitalize on that shit. It's gonna come for sure. Now that we saw Cuphead, Ori's it's coming. They gotta save it for Cuphead? the next thing. Uh, I think uh, it's like twenty. I think yeah, twenty or fifteen. It's in that range. Nice. You gonna check to it out? That. Yeah. Do yeah, it. Yeah. It's fun, man. It's it's brutal, but it's fun. Cool. Yeah. I, I um, I've been wanting to play like a hard platformer. So. Oh well, then mm. it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah. It's worth noting that Cuphead is, like, more a hard Mega Man boss battles game with some platform levels in it. Which, yeah, I would that, say the the boss rush is definitely the focus of the game. Yeah. If, you know, that's your jam, great. If not, don't want you to feel misled. Sorry, so you Pete said that's the focus of the... The boss rush is the focus of the game. Do you mean that there's a boss rush mode? No. It's, it's like the main story is anchored by boss battles. So, like, the on the main Cuphead map, right, like each... Uh, world, there's three worlds, is predominantly boss battles with platforming levels. But they're not, like, connected. It's not like you do some platforming and then fight the boss. It's like, this is a boss level or this is a platforming level. Oh, and, like, got they're it. different. Um, the platforming levels, there's probably, like, three or four of them per map. And I think there's, like, 
five-ish bosses or six bosses for each world. The cool. the platforming levels are okay, but the boss fights are really where Cuphead is. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I would say that that's definitely like the hook. Are the are the boss battles like the the platforming levels are are again they're fine. Some of them are good, but they're not like the thing that makes Cuphead what it is. Man, that's a little disappointing. Um, yeah, if you want, like, a just straight-up, like, a hard platformer, I would definitely recommend Celeste or Shovel Knight before Cuphead. Because I know you haven't played either of them. Might just have to just go back to Mega Man. Mega Man X. If you really want to just go back to Mega Man, please try Shovel Knight for me. Because I think you'd like Shovel Knight. But Shovel Knight, I don't like the way it looks. I really don't. If if you really want to go back to Mega Man, try Cuphead. Like, it plays a lot like Mega Man. Um, you get to switch out your weapons. You you jump and shoot. Oh. Uh, you are a jump and shoot man. That's true. Yeah, you're a jump and shoot cup man. And um, it's just a really good, solid game. The, the boss fights are still, like, platform heavy. But, you know, it's not running from left to right across a level. It's... I think the it, screen mostly stays the same. It also has like one of the best aesthetic packages I've ever had in oh, any game. Yeah. Like it hard commits to the whole like 30s animation style in a way that like is just so cool. You know, like even like the menus and like just like every little thing that could have that flair, they go that extra mile. Oh man, um yeah. <clears throat> Andy, I think you sold me. Okay. Boom. Boom. April 18th, 18th. baby. Uh, Coincidentally, that's the day that I move. I'm going to buy this game, and after I move all my shit, I'm going to play some Cuphead. Pete, I'm backing you as a friend and as a person who's both moved and played Cuphead. You're already going to be angry after a move. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that to yourself in one day. Don't. I, I fear for your Switch if you try to play Cuphead. Like, sit down to relax with that after... So uh, that was my first pick. Would any of you guys have one you want to throw out there? Uh, I, yeah. Go ahead. I, so I wasn't super into this Nindy's showcase, if we're being honest, but I did really like Creature in the Well, the pinball adventure game. Oh, that yeah. was another one on my list cool. as well, yeah. Uh, that shit looked tight and really just like fresh and unique. I dug the, like, was it like a post-apocalyptic thing? Did they say what the setting was? I wasn't totally sure. It seemed like a fantasy kind of setting, but, like, like there were, like... There were, like, factories and shit. Yeah, so, like, I'm wondering if it's, like, a, um... Like, post-post-apocalypse, like, something like Horizon. Okay. Or, like, a... Like a Final Fantasy VI vibe, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Like, it had, like, a... Post-modern human society kind of vibe. It was cool. Yeah. It looked tight. Um, I'm way into it, and... As a person who's not super into roguelikes, man, was this not the direct for me. Yeah, there were a lot of roguelikes this time around. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, the next game on my list was uh, The Red Lantern. Um, that was that, like, the Iditarod, like, the dog race one. And uh, It's gonna break my heart. That was, ways. yeah, that one definitely hooked me. Like, Ashley Birch is voicing the main character. She's one of my favorite voice actresses. Um... 
you know, she was uh, Aloy in Horizon and Chloe in Life is Strange. And I was like, all right, like, I heard about that and it sounded cool. And then when the voiceover started, I was like, oh, all right, here we go. Like, all right, that definitely, like, piques my interest. And, like, the whole, it's a roguelike. It has, like, unique events and, you know, dogs. Dogs. Caring for <laughs> dogs. I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm in for this. This sounds cool. I'm sure it's really going to be sad and weird and, like, kind of like Firewatch. Looks cool. So for all the people at home who don't know what roguelike is, why don't you explain that term? Okay. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Andy. It's a little inside baseball to be talking about, I guess. Um, so roguelikes are procedurally generated games where it's expected that you're going to die a bunch and you're going to play in runs instead of making progress like straight through linearly through a set dungeon or story. So, like, every time you'll get a little bit farther as you get better at the game and, like, unlock new things for your successive runs. And yeah, like usually you'll keep, like, equipment or stats or something, like, from run to run so your character is progressing every time you play. But you're not, like, just, like Andy said, not going in a straight line. Yep, you're, you know, you go, maybe this time you get five floors into the dungeon instead of three. You ever seen that and... Tom Cruise movie, Edge of Tomorrow? It's like that. You live, you die, you live again. <laughs> Man, you cited one movie and then quoted a different movie, Pete. Come on. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> War boys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sean, you had one you were ready to jump in with, right? Well, yeah, just the only one I think I'm, <clears throat> other than Cuphead, I guess, that I'm actually interested in. Uh, a game I'm almost 100% sure I will have, which is the Stranger Things game. Um, my girlfriend is a massive fan of Stranger Things, and I am too. Um, and I think that this is the kind of game that I could see us sitting down and, and screwing around with. Um, unfortunately, nothing else here is really for me, but I, I, I most likely will spend money on the Stranger Things game. Aren't those free? Or whatever. Pretty sure it's free, yeah. Um, but that's cool. What about you, Thompson? Anything that stuck out to you? Yeah. Uh, right off the bat, they started with Overland, and that's, you know. Oh, yeah, that was, was the survival. But it's like turn-based and everything. So tactical right my, RPG thing? Yeah, right up my alley. Instantly sold yeah. on that one. That's perfect. That one almost made my list as well. I think that one looked really interesting. Yeah. Um, Darkwood It was another one, but I have already played that on Steam, so like... You know, I didn't beat it on Steam, so there's a chance I'll get it on the Switch, but it's a really fucking awesome game. What was that one? Darkwood. The spooky one. The, the spooky oh. one, yeah. It's, okay, it's I pretty freaking incredible, man. Like, it's one of the best uh, mystery and, like, mechanics are really fun, and the tension is just great, so, like... It's like the isometric yeah, one, yeah, right? It's yeah, it's top-down for sure. Um, It's it's really neat. I, I don't want to, like, give anything away on it, and I didn't beat it either, so, like, it's, it's a real contender for me to pick it up. On the Switch, actually. Cool. Um, Katana Zero was just... Oh, Katana Zero looked fun. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I don't know <coughs> how you guys felt about that one, but that looked... It looked like kind of a... like Ninja Gaiden. I was like, this looks yeah. pretty cool. But I was like, it looks a little, like, plain. And then they got to that thing where it's like, oh, and then you go to your therapist and get your drug. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, what? Was, I was, was like, oh, whoa, this has layers, man. This is cool. Yeah, it, it, it hooked me. Like, you know, I was interested. It has a nice aesthetic. And then the, that trailer was pretty cool for it, you know. I think they gave me just enough for me to be interested, so I'm not sure if I'm going to pick it up, but it looked really cool, man. And um, 
rad i think it was called like that yeah <laughs> that that's the weird, double weird fine game. the double fine one that's yeah. being published by bandai namco yeah that's that's just straight up weird and i love it and uh a world destroyed twice over it's edgy and it's silly and you make flowers when you are grass when you walk like what the hell i don't yeah. care I'm into yeah this. i was interested in that one too i don't know like the gameplay didn't look super appealing to me yeah, but like not yet. the like, vibe of it was pretty cool yeah so rad and katana zero i'm, I'm very interested in um overland i'm definitely buying and Darkwood, hard, hard close by. You know, I don't, I don't know. Very close on that one. <laughs> hard close by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's teetering, you know? Mm. I am hard on the fence about that one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so then it's a had, hard fence to be on. Andy, did you have any others that you wanted to call out? I had one more. Uh, I also had one more. I just wanted to give a small shout out to uh, what was it called? Where'd it go? Neocap. Oh yeah, yeah that one was interesting too. Looks like exactly the kind of like bullshit quasi game that I would love. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, where it's like you're the world's last Uber driver. <laughs> <laughs> Sit in the car, have people tell you their story. I'm in. Yeah, I I I also enjoy that sort of like choose your own adventure like sort of thing. So I I was interested in that one. I want to see more about it, but yeah, that could be cool. Uh, so yeah, the last one for me, uh, which was I think the one that kind of stole all the, the headlines, was the uh, Cadence of Hyrule, which is from the makers of Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's essentially like a Crypt of the Necrodancer sequel that's also like set in the universe of Legend of Zelda. Um, so like obviously this one is like very interesting because... You know, um, it's, like, the first time we've ever had a, like, quote-unquote indie developer, like, work on uh, a core Nintendo franchise like this. Uh, so, obviously, very interesting. I never played the original, but um, I'm definitely down to give this a shot. Yeah. I like I like a good rhythm game. I, I also never played the original, and, again, a... Roguelike rhythm game, probably not my jam. <laughs> but like, if you get it, I'll check it out sometime. Yeah, I, I I'm definitely interested in in picking it up. I think, and I thought it was really just interesting too, because there's this little story that kind of came out around this game, where apparently, uh, brace yourself, games is the name of the uh, the developer, and they were like, they had the idea of adding Zelda characters to the game as like DLC. But Nintendo was so, like, jazzed on the idea. They were like, no, like, make it a full game. Um, so I've got a quote here that's... Uh, I've got it from my Nintendo news, but it's originally from an IGN UK article. Um, where it says, We were considering making a new Nintendo Switch project, and we imagined how cool it would be to have Zelda characters appearing in Necrodancer, say, as DLC. Uh, to our surprise, Nintendo was extremely interested in the prospect, and before we knew it, we were working on a completely new title, mashing up Necrodancer with The Legend of Zelda. Brace Yourself Games uh, worked directly with our Japan teams to get that Zelda content in there, uh, even if it doesn't really fall in line with a Zelda-type title. So I thought that was just really cool, you know, that, like, Nintendo was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, we're going to just let you use the IP. Like, let's go. Like, that's a very, like, forward-facing move by them. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's not something that, like, I would expect from Nintendo, like, even five years ago. You know, so uh, that little little nugget takes us into our random question of the 
Nintendo IP would you guys most like to see handled by an indie studio? Like, in the same way, where it's like, we're just going to give the reins to somebody else and let them see what they can do. Do you want a, like, specific indie studio or just, like... Either or. Like, if you have a specific indie studio with your pick, that's totally cool. But if you just are like, oh, I'd love to see, like, a more bite-sized or indie, like, approach to any other franchise, like, that's that's a fine answer, too. I'll go first yeah, um, so like, to, to let you guys think on it a little. Because my answer is is really easy. It's Star Fox. Star Fox is in a bad spot. It's been like really like there hasn't been a game that's like really hit since Star Fox 64. And the like, you know, I don't know. The, the franchise has had such this problem of like identity crisis you know of like it had this weird on the ground third person adventure action game there was like star fox assault that was like on the ds i think which was like good but it was like more tactical it wasn't really exactly what people were looking for and then like there's been a bunch of games that have tried to like chase 64 and have like just done it wrong so like i think it would be really cool to just like give the ip to like a small hungry studio with vision to make a good tight arcadey Star Fox game that can like turn the narrative around and get us back on track to get that full 3D Star Fox 64 successor that we all want, you know? But I, I think an indie studio could do something like that better, quicker, and on a smaller budget and like turn the conversation about Star Fox around, you know? And I feel like that would be such a good way to do that because, like, you get the Star Fox name back out there. You get an indie developer behind it that people, like, love and trust and that, like, feel like are a good fit. And, like, it'll be a big opportunity for them. And, like, it look, makes Nintendo look good in the same way that, like, I think this does where it's like, oh, cool, look at Nintendo. Like, being all, like, you know, modern and, like, working with indie devs and, like, being more, like, bold with their IP and, like, also fixing Star Fox. Like, it's, like, if they did it and it worked, it would be such a win for everybody involved. I dig it. I got one. Hit it. So, this is relevant to this Nintendo Direct because I'm going to pitch that we give Studio MDHR, makers of Cuphead, let him make a Pokemon game. <laughs> what? Like, hear me out. All right. <clears throat> you do it like Cuphead, like a boss rush, and it's it's gym battles. Like each phase of the boss is like the new gym leader, like the gym leader's next Pokemon. Whoa! And you have like a Squirtle or whatever jumping around, shooting water guns, dodging attacks. I'd be way into that. That sounds kind of cool. I could see that being fun. When you first said Studio MDHR, I was like, Mario. (laughs) Imagine Mario, like, in that, like... I don't want a Mario game to be that hard. (laughs) Like, imagine if it was, like, the Paper Mario aesthetic, but, like, in an MDHR, like, boss run game. That'd be alright. Yeah, like, I don't have an indie company in particular that I was thinking of, but my same thing was, like, give them a Pokemon game, because I'm interested to see 
what anyone would want to do what what because the possibilities are you know like like pokemon says oak says right in the beginning the possibilities are practically endless you know like you can do practically <laughs> anything with this series like any suggesting a you know beat em up pokemon game like that a uh, boss rush thing like that's awesome i don't care what we get i was just thinking man like an rpg you know maybe like a tactics game even you know like we've seen some weird shit with pokemon like snap was awesome i love that crap give me something Shut like that fish. you know what i mean like yeah, right? Anything. You know, like, give me... Thompson, did you ever play Pokemon Conquest? Yes, I did. That game was so fun. What's that? It's a Pokemon tactics game for the DS. Right, and that's why I, yeah. I brought up a tactics what? game. <laughs> Con- Conquest is, like, a traditional yeah. uh, Japanese, like, tactics RPG, and they did a crossover on, like, the DS called oh, Pokemon wow. Conquest. that's crazy. Yeah. Right. Something so like that would good, be good, but it's super fun. Yeah, it's just a blast to play, I mean. So, yeah, any indie studio... Take Pokemon, do whatever you want with it. And if that's not good enough, give me Pikmin 4 somehow. I just want Pikmin. Pikmin 4! <laughs> but, I mean, they're probably right. working on that still, right? It'll come. It'll come. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think we're going to get Pikmin 3 ported first, and then we'll get Pikmin 4. Yeah, I think, like, two years ago they said they're working on 4. That's fine. Like, It'll come. Like, It'll yeah, come. I'm good. It's like, like you know, like the Pikmin, you got to, you know, plant the seeds of, of the game well. And, you know, it, it will... There's also growing a day. This is unacceptable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, what about you, what about you Shawnee? Um, I, 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 my first thought was Star Fox as well. Boom. Um, so I, I think I'm pretty cool to just stick with that answer. Either that or like a, a, a Metroid, you know. Yo, um, if we could get a Metroid game made by the dude who made Axiom Verge, like, oh, come on, shit. it's perfect. Okay. That'd be great. Uh, I didn't like Axiom Verge very much. I don't know if I'd trust that guy. Well, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so moving right along, uh, Nintendo aren't the only ones who are ready to show off their indie clout because Microsoft has announced a brand new series called their ID at Xbox Game Pass, which is going to be a showcase of indie games coming to Xbox Game Pass. So debut episode is coming out March 26th at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, so that's Tuesday, the same day that this airs. So uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, so this is uh, obviously pretty cool. You know, um, I'm always hyped to see, like, more indie announcements. But it's it's kind of interesting when you couple this with our next story. Uh, so I'll, I'm just going to jump into our next story, and then we can talk about both of them. Because it wasn't just Xbox uh, who was ready to announce, you know, more Nintendo Direct-style showcases uh, coming out this week. Sony is going to be doing their own called The State of Play, uh, where Episode 1, so again, indicating that this is going to be a series of some kind, uh, is going to be de- debuting on March 25th, so that's Monday, uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific. For And they said they expect uh, new PS4 and PSVR software updates and announcements. So... This is kind of crazy that it seems like everybody is, you know, like, obviously Xbox has been doing the, uh, what do they call it? Um, They've been doing ID at Xbox since, like, midway through the 360, I think. No, 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 but what, what's the other thing that they do now? The Xbox show. Oh, X- Access uh, or whatever? Inside Xbox? Inside I think Xbox. it's called? Yeah, so they've been doing Inside Xbox. Like, this obviously seems like it's a little bit more like focus you know because at the like reading from the article the press release you know they're saying it's uh you can expect to learn more about some of the hottest id at xbox titles coming to xbox game pass with new reveals gameplay highlights and conversations with developers 
Um, going to be able to check out the first ever episode. So again, seeming like this is going to be like a regular thing that they're going to be doing. Uh, and then, you know, the Sony thing is kind of the same thing where it's like, you know, we're kicking off this new video program called State of Play and it's going to be, you know, um, streamed like pretty much everywhere. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It seems like Microsoft and Sony, you know, are both kind of doubling down on the you know, model that Nintendo established years and years ago now of, like, just talking directly to your audience. And uh, with Sony specifically, I, I was wondering if you guys think that this has any impact on their decision to skip E3 this year. Honestly, I think this might be a reaction to the reaction to their, dis- their decision to skip E3. <laughs> uh, like, that's That's possible too, yeah. Like, I don't think anybody was like, yeah, go Sony, fuck E3. <laughs> like, the most positive reaction I saw was like, well, I'm sure they don't have that much to show, but I'm still kind of bummed about it. And I think that, like, Sony's got to know that people want to see what Sony has to show. Yeah. And I think being able to do this in smaller bits is a smart idea for them. I agree. I don't, I don't think that... Um... They knew this was coming, so they felt it was okay to skip E3. I think they 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 probably had some announcements to make, stuff like what we're going to see here, but they felt it wasn't enough to do at E3. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just not deliver those announcements or deliver them in a way that is just random, you know, like an, an article with IGN or whatever, I guess they they figured, hey, let's make a thing out of it. Um, make it something that people can tune into and, you know, stuff like that. So um, this is fine, but it doesn't soften the blow of them not being at E3. No, I I don't think it softens that blow, but I'm really excited by this. Like, obviously, I'm not, you know, uh, an Xbox person these days, so I'm not, you know, like, I don't plan on tuning into the ID at Xbox, like, on the regular. I'll watch the first one just to get a feel for it, but... uh, if, if Sony's going to be doing these state of plays at, like, the same rate that Nintendo does a Nintendo Direct, I'm very excited by that. You know, I love Nintendo Directs. Like, they're an event, you know? Like, whenever they come out, there's a ton of new announcements. I try to watch them live whenever I can. Um, like, everybody's excited and talking about Nintendo on Twitter and everything for a day or two. Like, if Sony can, you know, uh, emulate and replicate that success, like... That's a good idea, and it's honestly something they probably should have been doing for a while, you know? But if they can, like, get on that same clip, and I'm going to be similarly excited to see Sony announcements in that same way, like, that's dope. If Xbox, if ID and Xbox Game Pass, which is a terrible name for a fucking show, um, continues to show off the quality (laughs) of games they're showing off for this one on Monday, I will watch every time. Um, the three games they've highlighted to be showcased all are more exciting to me than anything Nintendo showed last week. They've got the Oxenfree follow-up after party. Um, they've got a spiritual successor to Bioshock and System Shock 2 called Void Bastards. And they've got the single dumbest game I've ever heard of, Supermarket Shriek, where you are a man and a goat in a shopping cart trapped in a supermarket. And you can only propel the cart by screaming... 
Yeah, I remember seeing yep. that at an What the fuck did you just say? You propel the cart by screaming? You propel the cart by screaming. Oh, God, that's awesome. If you're playing by yourself, yeah. you use the left trigger to have the man scream, the right trigger to have the goat scream. So it turns you left or right, hmm. and then if you have them both scream together, you move yeah. forward. In multiplayer, if you plug a headset into your controller with your friends, you can just yell into your microphone as the man or the goat. Oh my God. <laughs> It's hilarious. <laughs> what? That's crazy. <laughs> or, this might have been one of the games we saw I at the kind of funny showcase, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But either way, I'm stupid excited for After Party. I loved Oxenfree, so I'm really excited for their follow-up. And, you know, Void Bastard sounds cool. Yep. I should love Bioshock. Yeah, I'm like, so. Even if it's just like 20 minutes with these three games, I'm way in. Yeah, like, if this is the quality of shit we can expect from ID at Xbox every time, like, yeah, then I'll they'll have a viewer from me as well. But, um, both these are pretty exciting news, I think. I, I'm, I'm happy to see Sony and Microsoft, like, learning from what Nintendo's built with the Directs, because it's been a, a strategy that's really proven to pay dividends for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what... Microsoft and Sony can do with their own kind of spin on that that way to deliver news to your audience. Uh, so, moon right along, uh, we've got a rock block of news about the Epic Store this week. Uh, lots of headlines being made by Epic. Uh, the number one being a follow-up from uh, a story that we talked about a few weeks ago and then have kind of checked in on once or twice. Uh, Metro Exodus was one of the big games that Epic secured as a uh, you know an Epic Store exclusive. And I think uh, when we first talked about it on the episode where we had Ed uh, from the Party Nerds on a while back, we were talking about like kind of concerns about what this could mean for Metro, if it was going to hurt sales, if you know if this was going to be a thing that damaged the game's reputation, and. Um, Apparently fucking not, because <sighs> according to IGN, uh, sales of Deep Silver's Metro Exodus are already at 2.5 times that of the previous Metro title, uh, Last Light, indicating that the store exclusivity has had little effect on its success. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then after revealing the figure, Steve Allison, who's the head of Epic Game Store, said, quote, it's really about the games, not the store you sell on, when he was talking to uh, GamesIndustry.biz. So... He also said, we're super stoked to see this result, and the one thing we can say for certain is Epic Games Store is sure to make many of hundreds of millions of dollars for our development partners this year. So that's something else to take into consideration, right? So this game is, uh, like, an exclusive to the Epic Store. It sold 2.5 times what the original sold already. So And they're getting a better cut because of the 13% or 12%, whatever it is, uh, it's 12%. The 12% split that Epic Taste takes versus the 30% that Steam would have taken. So not only did it sell more, they made more money on it because it's exclusive and nobody can buy it anywhere else right now. So this is huge news, obviously. Like, uh, congratulations to, to Deep Silver and Metro Exodus. That's a huge win for them. And also, I think it's a big win for Epic, like, showing that they can win people over for the store in this way with these exclusives. And that the people that don't like it far outweigh the number of people who just wanted to play Metro. 
Yeah, I bought my first Epic game uh, Satisfactory, so like, you know, now I guess I'm in on the store too, right? I got my first title from them. <laughs> yep, I got in because I wanted to play, I've been wanting to play Slime Rancher since it was in early access and never got around to it, and it was free this month, and I was like, boom. Yeah, I mean, now I'm in. it's the same deal, right? I couldn't find Satisfactory anywhere else, I think that's it's just an exclusive, and um, had to go in, so there you go. Um, so yeah, big win for Epic on that one. Uh, and that didn't stop because they also announced a slew Ooh, yeah. of high-profile games that are coming to the Epic Store as PC exclusives. Uh, starting off with The Outer Worlds and Control, which are game. Those two games are two games that the four people on this panel have said are some of their most highly anticipated yep. games yeah. for the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yep. Control. Yep, Thompson and, and Sean. I remember you both were real high on Control. And uh, I think all of us, to varying degrees, were really interested in Outer Worlds. So this is huge. It's another thing. During the uh, GDC Unreal keynote, Epic announced that it partnered with Take-Two to bring uh, Outer Worlds and Ancestors Humankind Odyssey to the Epic's Game Store as exclusives. And um, yeah, it's it's also going to come – Outer Worlds is also going to release on the Microsoft Store. But it won't be on any other PC uh, things for a year. So year exclusivity from Steam. I'm going to buy it on Epic. Yep. And then, then, yeah, same with Control is going to be a year-long exclusivity thing. And then uh, they also announced that they're going to be bringing uh, Quantic Dreams exclusive PlayStation uh, trilogy of Detroit Become Human, Heavy Rain, and Beyond Two Souls are all coming to PC for the first time exclusively to the Epic Store. Nice. Um, I'm not going to play any of them, but it's really cool. Uh, for for a new game, a year-long exclusivity is a while. Um, I think about Tomb Raider, right? Yep. the second one, and it was exclusive on Xbox. I don't even remember how long it was, but that was a game that in development i was really looking forward to but then when it was announced as exclusive to xbox i was like okay well i don't own that so i'm not getting it and then i never got it and i know that it did eventually uh arrive on ps4 but by that point i just wasn't thinking about it anymore yeah so to have exclusivity on release is huge yeah and i mean there are uh, a list of 10 other games that are coming exclusively to epic on pc so After Party, which is the uh, Night School Studios game we just discussed with the ID at Xbox, which is the Oxenfree follow-up, that's going to be exclusive. Uh, the Cycle by Jaeger, Dauntless by Phoenix Labs, Industries of the Titans by Brace Yourself Games, Journey to the Savage Planet by Typhon Studios and 505 Games, Kind by Chump Squad, Phoenix Point by Snapshot Games, Sinking City by Frogwares and Big Ben, and Spellbreak by Proletariat Inc., and Soul Ash by Heart Machine and Anna Perna Interactive. So, yeah, man, like, they're just snapping up games as exclusives here, left and right. And to your point, Sean, yeah, like, that matters. And if people want to play these games, like, they're not going to wait a year. Absolutely not. They're going to go to the Epic Store. It's not like you have to buy a console. It's, it's an 80 megabyte. You know, like... Right. And then you close the store and play the game and don't even think about what platform you're playing it on. You're playing it on your PC. Who cares? You know? So, it's a big deal, man. And I I feel like Epic is proving more and more and more that the Epic Store is not fucking going away. (coughs) And they have the money to strong-arm their way into the conversation. 
Not to mention that, like, Valve and Steam have been lazy. Like, they've been the only game in town, and they have not updated the game, the, the, like, business model in a long time. And I'm wondering if Valve is scared, because our next story coming from Game Informer is that Valve is, quote, planning a facelift for Steam. So this comes from Matt Burt's article on the subject, and I'm just going to read from this to catch us up, because it's a short one. Steam has long been in need of a facelift, and Valve is gearing up to do just that in the coming months. When talking to developers about their wish uh, list of changes for the crowded digital marketplace, the most resonant chorus formed around discoverability. This led to several upcoming user interface designs meant to surface and resurface games to players. The biggest change comes via a redesigned library page featuring advanced filters, which you can see for yourself here. We've got a screenshot, which you can check out down below. It's updated. It looks a lot cleaner than it used to. And uh, it's a lot more, like, visual-focused. Um, it's got, like, a thing where it shows, like, recent games that you've purchased, uh, games that have recently been updated, and then your, like, complete library. The new design surfaces games players have already recently updated at the top. A second highlighted area focuses on games in your library with recent updates. And then we've got, like, the Netflix-style box art thing for the rest of it, right? Second major change is the Steam store, uh, to the Steam storefront is the new Events tab, which is a one-stop shop where players can see all the games that, they, that have received rele- uh, recent title updates or are running <coughs> special events like a double XP weekend. Think of this space as a mini blog within the store where developers can write updates about what's going on with their titles clicking into an event page gives you more information including a detailed breakdown screenshots and even embedded streams developers will have full control over these update posts and users can set up uh, notifications and even reminders for for when a particular event starts valve has included many ways players can opt into notifications whether it be via personal calendar updates the steam client email mobile app or even a text message and then it says that there's going to be an open beta in the next couple months so I think it would be crazy to think that these updates are not motivated by the Epic Store. Oh, it, And, like, it, this it is exactly it. what Andy and I were talking about when we were, like, championing the Epic Store when it was first announced, is that even if you prefer Steam, them being the only game in town has allowed them to be fucking lazy. And Valve, like, lighting a fire under their ass is why you're getting all these updates. So I've only purchased one game from steam and that was actually uh five nights at freddy's i think it was part four um and i remember actually i also downloaded a five nights at freddy's like free spinoff game whatever um the point is that i remember being kind of frustrated like it wasn't a it wasn't an experience that i enjoyed and that was my very very first time even opening steam and i didn't know you know what i was supposed to do but I just, I don't know, I didn't, I don't remember liking it. I didn't enjoy it. And it didn't look great. Um, so this does look a lot better. Uh, we've got the, the image here and it, and it looks really nice and clean. And, um, you know, I assume that the games that it'll show you um, will, will vary. But this just looks really uh, sleek. And I think that, you know, when you when you say, are they scared? I don't know if I would use the word scared, but I think... You know, they know more than anyone does what their weaknesses are. And it's just a matter of when it makes sense for them to fix those weaknesses. When is it a, when is it a, a thing that's going to impact their pockets, right? That's when all companies make decisions is when 
they notice that the finances aren't looking the way they want it to look or they know that it's going to start to matter. So this is that, and it makes perfect sense and good on them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think ultimately this comes back to that same conversation of like their competition is going to just be good for us, is good for the consumer because Steam is going to be a better client to use now. And hopefully we'll see Valve up their game because they have a real legitimate competitor. It would be great if Valve could fix their game recommendation algorithms too so that my whole front page wasn't like visual novels because I played a visual novel one time. Right. I constantly get bombarded with farming simulators and like bus driving simulator, and I don't I don't play those games. I don't understand how I get them. I play Factorio. Uh, you have, you have Stardew Valley in your library, so obviously you want to play farm simulators, okay? Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you know, for all I know, those games are like you know just like you're connecting to an actual like AI like farm thing, and they're just using us as labor for like the robot, you know, like. Yeah, you're actually, like, operating real robots. Right, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, man, well, let's, let's, here's a cheap-ass way to get people to farm. <laughs> let's make a game about it. That sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. A little bit. <laughs> uh, so moving right along, I've we've got a another kind of, like, rock block here of, like, quick hits. You know, like, none of these stories are, like, super, super deep right now, but they are things that I wanted to give us a chance to, to speak on because – at least one person on the panel really cares about each one of these stories. So, uh, number one on our quick hits list is Disney is reviving Lucasfilm games as well as confirming that they remain committed to their partnership with EA and the well, quote license model going forward. Never getting a Star Wars game as soon as that license is over. Oh my god, yeah. Uh. Um,. <laughs> But yeah, so this comes from uh, PCGamesN.com, and they've just got a little bit of context here that I thought was interesting. Uh, So they said, after the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney in 2012, one of its first acts was to close the company's video game development division, the legendary LucasArts. Excitingly, the company has now posted job listings which relate to Lucasfilm Games, the forerunner to LucasArts. So... You know, there's not too much to go on here besides that. There are descriptions for numerous roles, uh, which all specify work for Lucasfilm Games, which include producers, marketing coordinators, art art directors, and then other major roles. And then it looks like there's also going to be a separate branch for Asian territories. Uh, It says that they are going to be working on, uh, quote, interactive products based on Star Wars and other Lucasfilm IP for, quote, all digital platforms, including PC, Mac, all current gen consoles, mobile phones, and AR slash VR devices. While Disney confirms that the team is expanding, anything beyond that is purely speculative. So, obviously, pretty cool. Call it LucasArts, you Um, cowards. You know, (laughs) well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, so Andy, I think being the number one Lucas Games, Lucas Arts fan on the panel, what do you think about this? What? Andy has played every one of their weird point and click games that you haven't even heard of, Sean. Whoa, no one cares about Lucas Arts for that. They care about it for Star Wars. That that is <laughs> That is a fact. That is patently false. That is I've not also false. played all their Come Star on, Wars give me a break. games. Listen. We all love Star Wars games, but Andy's the one who played Full Throttle, Full Throttle and so Sam good. and Max and all that other weird uh, shit. <clears throat> anyway, I'm very excited. 
But call it LucasArts, you <laughs> cowards. <laughs> but call it LucasArts. Okay, fair. Hottest of takes. Uh, so this is actually big news because we've all heard and talked about the travesty that is Star Wars under EA. And I think that Disney has to have realized that. There has to be a level where they're like, wait a second, we should be not having all these negative headlines surrounding Star Wars games. Uh, Battlefront 2 was a mess. Um, and the, how you could fail, just with that name, Star Wars Battlefront, <laughs> right? How is that not just a, an absolute home run? EA basically burn it to the ground and it's it's sad what happened with that um and i think that's a bad look for disney you don't want that you know um so this is a big step forward hopefully towards better star wars games and yeah they're you know they're talking about how happy they are with ea that comes across as pr stuff they have to do that they're not gonna crap on ea but at the same time we need good games and hopefully this is the first step towards delivering them. I'm really hoping that the reason that they're calling this Lucasfilm Games instead of like LucasArts or whatever is because they're going to be adopting a similar strategy to what they have with Marvel games, where they have a core group of people who are like the, you know, Kevin Feige style like architects of the deals rather than making games, you know? Cuz like Disney's not good at that. But the IP is super valuable, obviously, and, like, I would love to see them partner with individual studios that are, like, made to make the kind of game they want to make rather than being like, yes, we're just going to give the license to EA and be like, see what happens, you know? Be like, no, like, we want a third-person Star Wars action game? Cool, let's go to Naughty Dog or let's go to whoever, you know? Or we want a tactical you know, Star Wars RPG, like, let's go to Chucklefish, you know? And, like, they can, like, make those individual partnerships based on the game at hand and also, like, kind of playing the field a little bit where it's like, all right, Sony, you get Spider-Man as your exclusive Nintendo. You get, you know, Marvel vs. Uh, not Marvel vs. Capcom. Um, Ultimate Alliance 3? What the fuck's the game I'm talking about? Ultimate Alliance 3 as your exclusive. Yeah, like, that is a better... I think that's a better strategy for Star Wars as an IP with video games, and it will be more lucrative for Disney and require them to do less. They don't have to run a video game studio. They can just be like, okay, existing popular video game studio, would you like to make a Star Wars game? And who says no to that? Yeah. I think that's a, a smart idea for them. I mean, it's like it's proven to work already with Marvel. Like, it's in its infancy, and it's already paying dividends, you know? Why not do that yeah, with Star Although, Wars? I don't think that, like, Disney's thrown around Marvel exclusives as a, like, and here's your exclusive, and here's your exclusive. Like, I'm pretty sure Spider-Man was a condition of getting Spider-Man for the MCU. And... That might be true, yeah. The huh. uh, Ultimate Alliance 3 makes sense, because the Switch isn't getting the uh, Square Enix game. The, like, the big Avengers one. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the multi-plat Avengers game. I, I think those are more related to each other than the Ultimate Alliance and Spider-Man. It's like, here's your exclusive, here's your exclusive kind of deal. 
that that's fair. I just I was saying that more as like an example of what this opens them oh, up yeah. to have like leverage for, for, you know, rather than just being like, you know, yeah. But I I point taken. I I do have one thing I, I'd like to add to that, um, and and it's I worry about the idea of Disney, sort of, you know, looking for different um, companies to work on Star Wars games and the reason is because at least from from what I understand and I could be totally wrong Disney has a, a specific vision for what Star Wars looks like and if that's the case that makes me worry about what developers will be allowed to do in their Star Wars games which of course you know you work around constraints but if there was a central house that made Star Wars games, that would mean that they would understand the limitations and what they can do within the box uh, because they're working exclusively with Star Wars. Um, and and that, that makes me feel a little better. Um, or at least a, a, a house where, the, where everyone there can help the developers who are working on Star Wars games understand what Disney's going to want from these games and work closely with them. Because I think then you get into the territory of, and of course, you know, you're, you're talking about different kinds of studios, but like that, that reminds me of like old crappy licensed games. Um, and obviously we don't want that. So top tier developers working closely with, you know, whatever this is, Lucas games or whatever to ensure top quality for these games within the box that Disney creates for what Star Wars has to be. And I, I, think that's what we're gonna get here if i had to guess you know i think it's gonna be very similar to what we're seeing them do with marvel where you just have like key leadership kind of guiding the ship and letting you know the best developers in the business do what they do uh so moving right along we've got a uh a very oh, yeah. brand centric piece of news uh persona 5 the royal has been announced for ps4 uh, Andy, do you want to lead this one? Okay. Um, so it was a very brief trailer that was an announcement of an announcement. And if you are were paying attention in January, we got an announcement of this announcement of an announcement. Yeah, they're killing me. Um, they still haven't said what it is. They still haven't said who this new character they introduced in the trailer. It's a, a girl who's a student at the high school. Most of the characters go to talking about the Phantom Thieves, which is like the, your party group. And who knows? It could be a like expanded version of Persona Five with her as a main character, which some uh, data mining from Smash Ultimate seems to suggest. Um, without going getting too far into it, it's, it's file names are dumb. Yeah, essentially, there was like a file name that referred to Joker, um, or seemingly refers to Joker. That's called Jack. And then now there's another one that was uncovered that uh, has a reference to someone called Jane. So that's led to some speculation huh. that this might be, like, a female lead character in the same way that we saw with, like, Persona 4 Golden. Uh, Persona 3 Portable. Sorry, thank you. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. It could be a Persona 4 Golden type, here's the whole game again with the bonus features. Uh, Persona 3 had, uh, like, an expansion called The Answer that was just Persona 3 with 30 extra hours tacked onto the end of it. So this could be, like, a DLC. 
Nobody knows, and they won't tell us until April 24th. Because they hate us. Yes. Uh, there was one little other thing I wanted to add here where uh, there is a um, a guy called Stealth40K who uh, I've worked with a little bit in the past. He was a, a guest on uh, my other podcast, The Podcast. He's a uh, global market researcher and like uh, kind of like Nintendo insider. And um, he got some tips, I guess, where he, he, he tweeted this out. He said, take this with a grain of salt if you like, but I heard from a few people privately after my series of Persona 5 tweets that Persona 5 Royal is going to be a PS4 exclusive. However, Persona 5, the vanilla version, is going to be coming to Switch and PC this holiday. We'll see what happens. So if you're like me and holding out hope for a, you know, uh, a Switch port of Nintendo, uh, of Nintendo Switch was what I was about to say, a Switch port of Persona of 5, Switch. Nice. Uh, it 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 apparently you know there are people out there saying that it's still on the table, but he also followed up and said honestly I still won't believe it myself until it is official because many Persona games on any uh, on anything other than Sony platforms seems crazy to me. But this is the chatter that's happening, so we shall see. Uh, but if you're still ho- holding out hope for a PC or Switch port of Persona Five, Maybe. could happen. Could happen. Maybe. Uh, if not, we'll learn about the 150-hour version of Persona 5 at some point. It'll be great. <laughs> I'm going to play it all it, 1,700 hours. April 24th rolls around. They're just like, okay, it's a game. It's coming out. We'll tell you more in June. So I think one <laughs> thing that's yeah. interesting about the, the April 24th date uh, with this Smash Data Leak is Nintendo said that we'll have Joker in Smash by the end of April. Right. So I wouldn't be super surprised if it was like, here's what the game is. Uh, Girl Joker's an option. She's in Smash 2. It's on Smash now. Go play Smash. Also, coming to Nintendo Switch this December. Please. Please. Just let me fucking finish this game. Just gonna replay okay. that first twenty you know, hours you played. I'd have to, but like at least I'd actually maybe finish it. It's like I'm not playing that shit on PS4, man. I can't. You can't suspend shit. I gotta use my PS4 for other things sometimes. It's terrible. It's too long. All right. So uh, <laughs> next up is Castle Crashers is coming to Nintendo Switch and PS4. This is hype. Castle Crashers is one of my favorite couch co-op games of all time, uh, and I can't wait to play it again. But uh, the other thing I just wanted to highlight was in the blog post on thebehemoth.com where they talk about it. They talked about some of the additions that they're making to the game. And then they also talked a little bit about their next game and a possible sequel to Castle Crashers. So just wanted to touch on that stuff a little bit real quick. It's pretty cool. Though. Uh, yeah, See, right? Game, so they said, you know, like of all things, I remember that shit as like a flash little pocket widget thing, you know. And <laughs> here it is. Here like 20 years later, it's still kicking. Keeping it alive, man. Oh well, so they said basically was that like you know they're well here I'll, I'll tell you about the new features and then we can we can talk about that so there's a multiplayer mini game called back off barbarian that is quote frantic and weird texture sizes of the game are five times the texture size of the original game so you can like play it in 4k i guess uh casual crashers runs at 60 frames per second the original ran at 30 frames per second which feels like kind of a slideshow if you go back and trying to play it after you uh doing the new one uh, so anyone who's played it will know that some of the levels where there was, like, lots of enemies, you'd have a lot of slowdown. So that's cool. 
All previously released DLC, like characters, weapons, and animal orbs, are going to be available in-game from the start. And various performance updates and improvements to gameplay and online multiplayer have been made. Uh, and then they also just added a couple cute things, like on Nintendo Switch, we'll have HD Rumble, Switch Online, and four-player local Joy-Con support. Uh, and then on the PS4, they've utilized the lighting so that whatever character color you have is going to be the color that oh, your PS4 controller so and I love, displays. I love, that I love it. Uh, so that's really cool. And then um, they talked about why they're bringing it to new platforms now. And this ties into what Thompson said, where they said, well, aside from it being one of the most requested things that we get, there's some less obvious reasons. With Alien Hominid not being ported, often we've seen it slowly become unavailable in most places. When we make games, we want them to stick around. Taking advantage of the updated hardware of each generation is also very satisfying. Higher resolutions, higher frame rates, chances to make tweaks, and better overall quality. Our debut title, Alien Hominid, was available on both Game Boy Advance and Nintendo GameCube. We've always eyeballed Nintendo's platforms with a warm heart. However, since the GameCube, Nintendo's cool features often demanded more development time than we were able to balance with guaranteeing quality. For instance, dual screens and requiring UI and design reworks. The Nintendo Switch is perfect for us to make our return on and brings uh, with it the availability ability to have our games be portable we always wanted to get to the 3ds due to portability so this is exciting for us and then why not a sequel you say spooky tough question but not really i often seen people claim that we would never make a sequel that is not accurate we might make one someday but it would have to hit all the right points at all the right times it has to be a product that would end up vastly improved rather than quote more of the same which is only something we can accomplish with gaining experience another thing to consider is that you would there would be no castle crashers 2 if we started out by making sequels all you'd have is Alien Hominid 2 instead of Castle Crashers Run. Or alternatively, there'd be no Battle, Bro Battle Block Theater if we made Castle Crashers 2. It's fun making different worlds and games that you want more of. We like the idea of more too. A constant internal battle with our minds. We sat down to make the company we already... I'm sorry. When we sat down to make the company, we already had more games than ide game ideas than we could ever physically make in the first place. And we want to bring them to life. Conflicting stuff. Game 5 and beyond. Finally... Among the many other projects we have going on right now, we're working on our fifth game, codenamed Game 5. Because of, uh, because of this, our design babies are gestating within that womb of the development world. They're so weird. Uh, we'll have more information on this later in the next year, hopefully. One thing at a time, my sweet, sweet loves. So, very exciting stuff. I'm excited to get more Castle Crashers, and I'm very excited to see more of Game 5 later this year. Game 5. <laughs> game 5. Woo! I, so, I do think it was kind of funny that that announcement was like, yeah, Alien Hominid's not available anywhere, but yeah, who cares? But clearly they're going to bring it to Switch, I think. Uh, so, yeah, a lot to gleam from that conversation. But last up, we've got Thompson news here. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which has three names for some reason. Yes. Two Bloodlines Two is happening. Yeah. What the fuck? I love that the 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 title of the rock paper shotgun article that we we uh, are sourcing is is happening. It's real. That's the that that's that's it. Yeah. I I Ow. seriously didn't believe it. Like when I was buying Satisfactory on the Epic Game Store, I saw this like just show up. And I, I was like, come on, is this like some kind of fan trailer or something? Like, this, this is not a real game. And no, I'm, I'm just blown away by it. It's and it, real, and, and they got the whole back 
gang back together. I can yeah, yeah, and it the looks pull quote is this is the sequel you have been waiting for. <laughs> I, I was just blown away by this. Like this was one of the craziest things that happened this year to me so far, <laughs> and and that's saying a lot. So, like I I'm all in. There's no way in hell I'm not buying this game, and I'm gonna play it a million times over like I did the first one. So real quick, I have to just read a little bit of the pull quote from Alice Bell. She's the deputy editor over at Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Her article about this is so fucking funny. Uh, So the opening line is she goes, Imagine, dear reader, my delight upon learning that Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, a game about which I have said, quote, but it'll never happen several times, is in fact happening. (laughs) You you guys got Kingdom Hearts and then I'm getting this. This is crazy. (laughs) This this world is changing so fast. (laughs) And then, then, then I'm jumping around a little bit, but the next paragraph, she goes, Bloodline fans among you may rec- recognize Brian Mitsoda as designer and writer for the original Bloodline, uh, masquer- the original Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. So not only is B. Mitsoda on board, when I met him, he was wearing black fingerless leather gloves. This is exactly the sort of thing we need to see from a lead on Bloodlines 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a wild ride, man. You know, like, I don't know if... Uh white wolf entertainment is still around that like made the source books for all this crap so like i I never i especially never thought this was gonna happen because i don't think the original like owners are even around like obviously Uh, the white wolf got bought and then there was some drama and then the white wolf brand got closed the fuck down last year yeah that's that's what it was right because i so they're done and it's like this this is where that originated from you know it's it's crazy to think that this game's coming and like there's no idea i was having like they were working on that world of darkness mmo and that got canned on top of it so it was like all ideas of this were just in the dirt and then all of a sudden we got this announcement so it's fucking and awesome for me paradox is making it right they're yeah published paradox it, interactive but i don't think are they developing it too i don't think they were developing it necessarily i'm looking right now I, which like, i think they're developing it but they just like made the team and put the money into it okay cool yeah i think andy's right well you know what this article is super long because yeah. like guess what my f- uh 1500 hours in hearts of iron is from a, a fucking paradox game and like yep. crusader kings and, and stellaris and all the shit that i can't stop playing that have a thousand hours in of uh lead writer of kotor 2 is also writing for the game yeah yeah i'm oh i'm so into this and like you know, I love obviously the edgy vampire stuff and all that, but like the first game, like was just straight up like a, a fun, well written, great game that had so many avenues and like you just really, you know, you don't have to enjoy that aesthetic to enjoy that game. And I, I'm amazed we got so long of a time to go here with such great writers. You know, um, they can really do some magic with this shit. It's a really expansive setting too. Did you say the 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 lead writer behind Kotor two? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, he that's is, him. He's a lead writer on a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of projects. I don't uh, know any the recent but, ones, uh, but, but Kotor Two is the thing he gets. I think the most recognition for. Well deserved. The story of that game, some of the characters that were created for that game are brilliant. That that news alone makes me excited for this. Yeah, and, and it was always fun in the first game, too, because it has a huge balance on, like, your humanity and how much of an ass you want to be. And, like, you know, power just kind of kills your humanity. And so, like, there's always a, a teetering balance that you, you could see, like, you know, like the morality systems in games nowadays and, like, the, you know, the light and dark in, like, Star Wars or anything. Or um, uh, Paragon Renegade and Mass Effect. That kind of stuff, like, wasn't around when the first game came out. And that was really, like, big back then. So, you know, hopefully they can 
use that to like a much bigger advantage because the setting itself is supposed to be kind of around that so it was like almost like it felt groundbreaking back then i'm sure it wasn't but it really felt like it was a game like beyond itself when it first came out i mean there's a reason that the first one is still beloved yeah like, it's a very good game <laughs> but I'm, I'm a little biased to it too so like i don't want to sit there and say like it's so great because i say it is i mean it's, it's like, a cult classic though you know like right. I, i've never played it but i know that people besides you like love that fucking game yeah, yeah. it's yeah. A, it's really fucking good um but yeah there's apparently going to be a lot of branching narratives and side quests you're going to be able to like choose which faction of vampire you work for that's like the first one did yeah will this be everything we wanted vampire to be that's what I'm thinking, actually, yeah. Uh, Andy, so wait, you played the first one? I didn't know I did. that you did. Yeah. Oh my god, did you sign with uh, the, uh, the 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 big Anarch people at the end? Of course. I figured you would. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, because they're just like straight up like, yeah, man, let's fuck up all this shit and Anarchy is the king. So. <laughs> yeah, I if I could have a... I forget what the subtitle is for World of Darkness, but if I could get a World of Darkness werewolf game as, like, oh, oh, loving like as Garu. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, yeah. I'd be so into it. Uh, it's the like, what, what is the deal? fucking favorite. What is the deal with the World of Darkness IP? Okay, like, so what World else? of Darkness IP started as tabletop role-playing games. Uh, basically, there's all of, like, the the paranormal stuff it's like fairies happens, and pixies and werewolves and everything in you can imagine. the Mages, real world but you, you like know. they keep it super hush hush so there's vampire the masquerade um vampires are super duper like court politics and you know keeping their stuff secret uh there's werewolf oh, the, the apocalypse werewolf the mage, apocalypse uh, mage, mage the, the ascension yeah oh mage the ascension yeah yeah, there's, there's a bunch there's of There's a ton of them, and each one has a different goal and aspect of play. Like, the mage games are relatively broken because, like, as a mage, like, just a human with magic powers, you're essentially able to do whatever you want, pretty much, with no repercussions. And most of the games are about repercussions and, like, not being overpowered, so... Yeah. It, it's, um, it's a fine balance. Like, one werewolf can trash 20 vampires, but there's only, like, five werewolves, let's say, you know? So, yep. Uh, the werewolves are, like... Show? Uh, I don't know about that. There, actually, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. There was a TV show in the '90s on Fox. Uh, that's for like crazy. one season. I didn't that's know weird. that actually. Wow. Anyway, um, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's cool. It's so yeah, uh, apparently, because like I'm skimming through the article again, uh, Paradox apparently regarded Bloodlines as quote the crown jewel in the portfolio when they bought the World of Darkness IP in 2015. <sighs> So they've been, like, building up to this wow. for a minute, I guess. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. I didn't know that. Very cool. Yeah. Damn, man. Now I'm just going to get slammed with Paradox DLC left and right, and I'll have to buy all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Paradox DLC model on a role-playing game would just make me sad. Yeah, um, that's my only concern, because every other game is just, you know, laden with them, but I already see in the pre-order thing that there was, uh, you know, like, episode one or two, like, expansion things you can pre-order for, like, you know, 20 bucks it's basically like a season pass so there, there's dlc for sure oh well <laughs> still one uh, one to keep an eye out for i think all right so our next story is going to take us into our meat and potatoes discussion this week and it's all about google stadia Woo! what a name what a fucking name you guys that's it's imposing a name <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it makes me feel little. <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, that Red Hot Chili Peppers album. <laughs> Google Stadium Arcadium. Uh, so, I yeah. I mean, at least that would have had Arcadium in the name, right? Real like, talk, this though, isn't... has Google ever named a product well? No. <laughs> Not anything that wasn't just, like, like <sighs> Google Notes or Google Hangouts. It's like, all right, that's fine. That's You're fair. literally describing what the product does. That's okay. Yeah, it's fair. Like, <laughs> we're used to Chrome now, but Chrome's a dumb fucking name. Yeah. Yes. Especially because there's no part of it that has Chrome anywhere. Nope. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so Google at GDC, uh, like we talked about, you know, weeks, months ago now, um, had their big coming out party to the gaming industry and it in, uh, introduced the Stadia initiative, which is um, their new, you know, video game streaming platform. There's still a lot of un- unanswered questions about it, like price and you know, like, some of the, like, specifics of, like, how your account will work, you know? Like, how you as a consumer are going to interact with this thing remains unclear. But almost everything else about it, like, on a base level kind of, like, features and functions thing, like, we learned a lot in this conversation, this (coughs) hour-long talk that they did. Um, so I've actually, in, in case you haven't seen it, I've linked to a video down below, which you can check out, uh, by, um, it was, uh, Tech Insider. Um, they did a little five minute kind of like compression of the hour long conversation. I definitely recommend you check it out. Um, you know, before maybe even listening to this conversation, just if you haven't, but, um, you know, we're going to get into all of it and talk about what we think about the service and kind of like what we think the greater ramifications of it are going to be because, you know, I think this is a, a story we've been kind of circling around for a while and now I think we have a lot of our, a lot of our talking points answered here. So um, I think, you know, I want to just like touch on some of the highlights from the announcement and then we can kind of dive into it. So the first thing that they kind of like showed off as like their big, you know, like unique feature was that whole... <sighs> You could be watching a game on YouTube, click a button, and they said within, like, what, five seconds or something like five that. Five seconds, you know, yeah. Within seconds, be playing that game on Google Stadia. So, yeah, like, that's a very interesting idea. Um, and I I don't know. So what, what do you guys think about that idea? Andy, you seem excited about it. Why don't you start? I, I think it's really cool. I think it's some of that weird, like, the future is now shit. Like, our cars don't fly, but I can sit down at my computer, <laughs> watch, like, Donkey get his ass kicked at Sekiro, and then be like, bet I could do that, and then also get my ass kicked at Sekiro. <laughs> Within seconds. Within seconds, yeah. I could be getting, you died. But only if you meet the requirements for using this system. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna talk about that. Do you want? Do you want to go there right now, Sean? Are you chomping at the bit, or do you want to? Do you want to talk about the features? No, go for it. Do you? Okay. All right. All right. Because we can get into it. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, man. <laughs> so uh, at launch, Google has promised that they'll be able to support being able to play across desktops, laptops, TVs, tablets, and phones. 
and they showed um, an example of someone. I think it was Assassin's Creed they were playing, right? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, Odyssey. Yeah, so they're playing Odyssey, and they're playing it on a. Um, it was a Pixel Book running on the Chrome OS, so that's like one of their kind of proprietary, like really like light laptops that's basically just running off the internet and like doesn't have like anything really inside it. Um, and then immediately, like, we're able to switch that over to the Google Pixel 3. And it was, like, within seconds, and you were picking up exactly where you <coughs> left off, you know? Uh, they said – this was, I thought, an interesting quote. They said it's not a box. With Stadia, the data center is your platform. You know, so they've been clear there's not going to be any physical hardware that you're going to buy into. It's just going to be a cloud platform. And uh, it works with existing USB controllers or mouse and keyboard, but they also showed off their own proprietary controller. It comes in three different colors, a couple of which are actually pretty cool. And uh, it connects to Stadia via Wi-Fi, which is really interesting. So this is kind of the big advantage of using their controller is that it actually connects directly to the service instead of to your device so that there's uh, to limit latency. yeah. (coughs) Yeah, exactly. So theoretically, using the Stadia controller will actually, like, uh, decrease any, like, latency or anything like that you have between your input and the actual software, which is interesting. Um, So then there's also uh, two specific, like, unique buttons, because if you look at the actual controller itself, it kind of looks like, I think Thompson said it when we were looking at it together the day it happened, uh that it looks very much like a, a if the PS4 and the Xbox controller had a baby. Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, Push them together uh, and that's what you get. I looked at that and I thought, oh, that's the Switch Pro controller with some extra buttons. That's kind of true, too. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Um, because, like, the stick placement is, is like the PS4 where there's two sticks in the middle together, but otherwise the button layout and, like, D-pad and everything look very similar to, like, an Xbox or a Pro controller. Um, but it has a capture button, which allows you to like you know save your um, your gameplay either directly to uh, YouTube or like they said that there would be different options either like put it up on like a channel, share it to yourself or to friends. So I think you'll be able to like just maybe save it to your Google Drive if you want to take it and edit it for a YouTube video or something like that, or if you want to just like share it to your friends on another third party platform or something like that. Uh, it seems like that'll be an option for you. And then there's also a Google Assistant, which uh, accesses the controller's built-in mic, which you can use to ask for help with, like, in-game features. <coughs> and one of the uh, – so, I mean, they said that that could be, like, developer-supported stuff of just being, like, oh, like, bring up the help menu or pause the game or whatever. But it could also be, like, um, another thing that they showed where you'll, like, sp- like, pa- like, suspend your game for a second to look at a gameplay guide. So, like, if you're, like, stuck at a part of the game, you can be like, yo, help me with this section. It'll bring you the top result and show you what you need to do. And then you can just go back to the game so you don't have to, like, have multiple displays or, like, pause the game to, like, look up a guide. Like, you can just be like, guide, back to the action, you know? It's it's Um, really cool, I think. Really interesting feature, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then they also said that it's going to support full cross-platform play. And at launch, it'll be capable of streaming 4K with 60 FPS and HDR and surround sound. And it will eventually um, scale to support 8K streaming. And then they also showed this other thing off that I was confused by called State Share, 
where you can you'll be able to like basically snapshot like a a moment of gameplay and they said it would be like could be like the world state it could be character inventories it could be all these different things and you'll be able to like share that to friends or other players and be like oh you'll never be able to like do what i did at this section or whatever and i i didn't like fully understand it did you guys like what did this like feature mean to you Uh, so it's like if i from my sense of it if i'm playing say like a far cry game right and i like come up with a weird way to take out an outpost like i'm gonna approach from here with just these guns Mm -hmm. and like i can do this can you i can share that and lock you into like so you're walking up on these outposts with like just a handgun now can you kill it okay okay that makes sense yeah which is also cool that's a neat thing i don't think it's a thing i'll ever use but like it's cool different i would have used the fuck out of it when i was a teenager yeah, I feel like I that's definitely... like a, a gaming vine kind of thing. That's neat. You can create like a sort of like you know little segment of a thing and just like put that out there for people. Yeah, I think that could be really cool for like streaming. Yeah, you yeah, know, and like content creators and stuff. Obviously, <laughs> well, for anyone looking to like you know get any kind of interactivity, like that's a huge new avenue to do it. Which, I don't know. I think it's really cool. I don't think I ever use it either, but like I think that's really neat. You know, it's almost like Mario Maker, but for like every game. Yeah. <laughs> um. But then they also uh, made the announcement that it will be launching in 2019 and that the original launch, like, places are going to be U.S., Canada, the U.K., and, quote, most of Europe. Um, there's going to be more news on it to come, including things like price point and stuff like that, I would imagine. But that's kind of the long and short of it in terms of what they announced that was really just, like, about the features of the thing. So... What do we think about this on its face before we get into the conversation of, you know, the realities of its limitations? Um, but I think we need to see the model, like the pricing, the, is it a subscription? Is it a, you have a library that you just buy as games? Yeah, I think that's going to be really, I, that's the million that's dollar huge question for me. For me. Because yeah. a lot of people are, like, kind of positioning it as, like, a Netflix-style thing, and there's nothing that they said specifically that makes me feel that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like you, you hear streaming and stuff like that, and you just go to those because that's what you know. And obviously this is yeah. something new, uh, similar, but, like, you know, new. And, and I, I don't I don't think it's going to be as cheap as a Netflix service. I, I think if they do that, it's... They're, I mean, they're working with some serious shit here to get a game like flip over from a YouTube video to five seconds. So they're you gotta pay for that. You know what I mean? Um, so that's huge for me too. Also, like I know they're gonna announce games later, but the games on it, like I wouldn't get this for Odyssey. But if you get, you know, some other stuff on there, that's huge too. Their other see big what... highlight was Doom Eternal's gonna launch on this service. I think. Yeah, it's cool yeah, too. That yeah, that was one of the highlights. That's big. That's a big one, right? So if you get a few more of them, um, you know, and and just say that it's even Netflix style, which is going up too. Like say it's fifteen a month. Like that's not bad at all. You know, like that'd be great. I think it'll be more of a, you know, get a few Doom Eternals on there, and I'm in. Why would you need a few Doom Eternal stops and you could only you know play I mean. one Doom Eternal at once? <laughs> a few games that are great, like Doom Unless Eternal. Unless you're multi, yes. you could play it Doom eternally, Eternal. Thompson. It's right in the title. I- Wow. <laughs> You're busting me here. Uh, yeah, there's some definite positives and cool things about this. 
I think state share is probably the probably the craziest. I mean, outside of like the obvious, the the you know what what it is. Yeah. Um, out, outside of the obvious, state share is the coolest and most unique thing that this has available to it. Um, at this point in my life, I don't know how much I would use this, but I guarantee you that if this was around when I was younger, this is something that would have been used constantly between me and my friends. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the fact that it has full cross-platform and all that kind of stuff, all that's really great. But there are some definite things that I, I'm not into or, or, you know, not really a fan of. Yeah, let's go um, there. So I think the controller is a little goofy looking. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're trying so hard. Right? Like they printed the Konami code on and I saw that. controller. That's <laughs> I saw that, yeah. so stupid. They're like, man. guys, like, look, we're, we're gamers. I thought, that we're was, games. I thought that was so funny when I saw it. Like, I, I, I imagined the guys in there going, well, gamers like the Konami code, right? <laughs> Let's just put that on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that just comes across as, as you know, really lame. Pandering. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very much pandering. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there are so many unknowns, right? Like this whole thing that they're touting about, yeah, you can go from it, from the game straight to, straight to, you know, from YouTube to the game. All right. Well, do I have to own the game? If I have to own the game, that's not nearly as cool because I could just open the game. Uh, if it's, I have access to you know, a streaming service, like a Netflix thing, like how this is kind of being talked about. Well, then that's, that's cooler, right? Cause then I can just get hyped about this game that maybe I've never like played before or thought to play. But now that I'm watching someone else play it, I'm into it. And then I'm like, wait, I can play this right now. Right. And then you just jump right in. That's pretty cool. Um, but then you get into my other problem of, well, once you can do that, well then how's it going to run? And, you know, even in these, these articles, it talks about how uh, when you try to play, you're going to have to run a, a test that checks how your internet is um, and all that good stuff. And if you don't meet the requirements, you can't play. So how does that work when you're on the go? You know, they're, they're, they're making this seem like this is something that you can use seamlessly between devices and all that kind of stuff, but if your location changes, your ability to play will change. And at like if you're let's say you're playing a mobile game, right, and you're on the go, um, that mobile game will stop responding. Of course, if you if you lose internet access, but short of that, you'll be able to play. This is not the same. Right. If if the, if your internet connection doesn't keep up exactly the way it needs to, the game won't work. So that's a big problem, I, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a big problem depending on where you live. I can't play um, uh, Heroes of the Storm on my laptop at my girlfriend's house without occasional lag. If I was doing that with this, I would just lose out on the game, and I don't want that. That sucks. So for what it's worth, um, the the requirements are actually pretty low to run it at all. They want uh, a stable 15 megabits per second uh, download, which, according to uh, speedtest.net, which uh, did a survey of 24 million people in the last year, 
the average in the United States is 96 down. So, like, most people in the United States should be able to handle it. Um, even the states with the lowest average is, like, 50 on their home Wi-Fi. And uh, 4G can't handle it regularly yet, but the cell phone companies are starting to roll out 5G, which should be, like, a lot faster if we're looking at a, an LTE versus a, a 2 4G jump again. And... Well, yeah, it does suck that if you have a a spotty connection, you won't be able to use it. I think this does open up, you know, a lot of possibilities for kids who, like, might not be able to afford an Xbox but have a smartphone. Well, we don't know that because we don't know the price point. Right. But I, I – Yeah, assuming it's affordable. Assuming it's affordable, even if it's, a, like, a service where you have to buy games – I, yeah, you you don't have the investment. You don't have the investment of going out and buying a box. Hardware. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but even then, you guys are making the assumption that it won't cost what it costs to have a console, right? So, like, buying a console, you know, at launch probably run you four or five hundred dollars. Um, okay, so Google is using all this high power technology, but offsetting the cost by not having you have to buy a box, where are they making their money back? How much how are they making this financially viable for them? Because this is this is heavy duty stuff that they're talking about doing. Yeah. I don't think that you're just gonna skate by on the cheap. This isn't a cheaper option, I don't think. Well I think it's it's gonna just be it's gonna be dependent on if it's a subscription model or if it's a games to purchase model. Because if it's a games to purchase model, they're making money on the software. You know, and like, I guess that's enough, you know? Really? Like, Yeah, I mean, they would be if they're selling games to you, right? Like, if you're buying a... Like, if, if Google Stadia is also <gasps> a marketplace, they'd be getting whatever their publishers, or not publisher, but marketplace cut is. You know, like, like Steam takes 30%, 30, Epic takes 12 like, you know, whatever they're going to take, they're going to take, and they'll make that money. Um, and that's that. Or it'll be a subscription model, and they'll have to find a number that is good enough for their audience to like be making them money. You know, if it's a marketplace, I don't think that's financially viable enough. Um, because thirty percent off of a game is not a ton of money, and like I said, I think this is heavy duty hardware that they're de- that you're dealing with. If it's a subscription model, I can't imagine a way that it's less than twenty bucks. I mean, even if it was twenty bucks, if if you're talking about an investment of twenty bucks and whatever a controller costs, and you have access to most of the hottest games around right now, like that is a value for somebody like who Andy's describing, like somebody who wants to play games but doesn't have the money for a console. Not a kid. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's an easier sell for a parent is $20 a month than $500 up front and then $60 a game. I don't know. That's a way different investment. My parents never would have done that. There would have been no chance. I think my parents would have done that if it's like a, this is the investment for the account the whole family can use. <coughs> yeah, that too. Because, I mean, look, like, 20 times 12 is $240 a year, rather than, like, the upfront investment of 
we'll say say a console's five hundred dollars, right? That's five hundred dollars with sales tax. You're looking at like five fifty plus whatever your first game is. That's six ten. If that game's online, another sixty bucks for your online subscription. You're up to six seventy, and that's not even with me like doing fair taxes. You know, you're really gonna be looking more probably like seven hundred seven hundred fifty dollars for all that stuff day one. That's assuming you don't need to buy a second controller. If you have two kids and you want to buy a second controller so they can both play, you're up to you know eight hundred dollars. You know, um, that's a huge investment rather than even if, if the controller's 60, 70 bucks, <coughs> like most controllers are, that's 120 bucks up front if you have two controllers and then $20 a month, which especially if you're like a family <clears throat> that's like living paycheck to paycheck, or if you're a person who's living paycheck to paycheck, $20 a month is easier to budget than fucking five to $800 up front for something new. So, like, two things that I'm very interested in about this whole thing. The controller's latency, like, how, it, you know, it will help in that respect. How much is it going to help? Because obviously we don't know. Uh, that is interesting. Like, if it's something where people are like, wow, it's dramatic using the controller to go, you know, versus whatever, my, you know, mouse and keyboard or something. Um, and then, did we get a price on that thing? Because I don't... No, yet? no, there's okay. no price on it. I, assume... I can assume it's reasonable, you know, like anything else. Uh, I was just curious. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, we're, we're talking about possibly marketplace or subscription-based. Um, I was just wondering, like, like where really, really, like, what can Google, like, you know, how can they offset this and all that? And, like, they, they run, they're running the, you know, Google runs a ton of shit, so they're running, like, you know, search engines and, like, you know, YouTube and everything. And if they have this integration and all that, they love data. Just thinking about it, um, how much data are they going to get from people using their service that they can help optimize other programs with? So maybe they don't need to charge in like an egregious amount for games on a marketplace or for a service because it'll help them internally in the long run. Yeah, maybe that's, that's part of their angle. Maybe that's why they're going to be able to say, "Oh, we can do this service for this much or this marketplace for this much," because you know maybe they're not making money hand over fist. But you know, YouTube doesn't make money, right? So it's like, you know, like that might help them. Maybe they need you know, gamers to have more input and stuff. And this is a way that they can, you know... Yeah, like, this is a way that they can monetize the active gaming yeah, audience so on maybe, YouTube to maybe get more money out of them. Yeah, maybe this service is in part to, like, help, you know, the whole of Google work better. Uh, you know, as, as a, like, obviously it's for gamers and shit, but I just mean, like, maybe that's where their benefit is. I think they're waiting on Microsoft for the price point. Or that too. <laughs> it could be that, yeah. Um, the... Because Microsoft is set to announce their competing streaming service at E3, uh, which I think Phil Spector said this week. No, Phil Spencer. Phil Spector's the producer that murdered his wife. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is he about murdering his wife? He said he accidentally said Phil Spector, not Phil Spencer. Oh, and Phil okay. Spector was a music producer who strangled his wife. Right. Okay. okay. Oh, cool. That's yep. yeah. <laughs> um. Um. Yeah, actually, real quick, Andy, I'll I'll jump over to that article. Um, yeah, uh, Phil <laughs> Phil Spencer like jumped in on this, like rea- reacting to it, kind of right. Um, and he said, "So we just wrapped up watching the Google announcement of Stadia as the t- as as a team here at GDC. Their announcement is validation of the path we embarked on two years ago. Today, we saw a big competitor enter the gaming market and frame the necessity or the necessary ingredients for success as content community and cloud. 
There were no big surprises in their announcement, although I was impressed by their leveraging of YouTube, the use of the Google Assistant, and the new Wi-Fi controller. But I want to get back to us. There's been really good work to get us into the position where we are poised to compete for 2 billion gamers across the planet. Google went big today, and we have a couple of months until E3 when we will go big. We have to stay agile and continue to build with our customer at the center. We have the content, community, cloud team, and strategy, and as, as I've been saying for a while, it's all about execution. This is even more true today. So yeah, the co the competition for your cloud future is hot. I'm honestly really very surprised we don't have a similar Amazon announcement coming because in terms of cloud computing, like Google's a solid third place, Microsoft's a solid second place, and Amazon is way out in front of both of them. Um, so I don't know if what's going to happen there, but I think that Google's price point has to undercut Microsoft's because I think Microsoft will be able to offer a better pitch for like, hey, we've been in the games industry for 20 years. We like know how to do games and build a gaming platform. Yeah. And Google's like, oh, we're Google. You trust Google, right? Yeah, like Xbox is a brand that gamers are already behind. And that gives Microsoft a leg up. Yeah. Uh, so I think that if, you know, it's you can stream Game Pass anywhere for that same fourteen ninety nine price point, we see Google jump in also at fourteen ninety nine because I don't think they can survive at 10 But I think that if Microsoft moves to like 20 25 30 bucks, we see Google a little bit cheaper. Do you guys think that 20 or $30 is like too much? I feel like 20 is like, I feel like the highest they can go where it still seems like a deal. I really think it depends on what the library is. Yeah, that's that's where my like problem is with that because like <coughs> I'd pay 30 if I knew I was going to play five $60 games a month on it, you know? Sure. Uh, yeah, it depends on the games and uh, who this is for. Um, this is basically trying to get people like in my opinion i don't think this is marketed towards the casual uh in the sense that this isn't the same audience that you know plays mobile games only because they're used to playing games for free and uh play, paying money piecemeal when they want to unlock something things like that um to me this is different than that so if you're trying to compete with consoles um I think Andy makes a good point about the fact that Microsoft has clout with gamers, um, whereas Google doesn't. Um, so it, it's 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 really going to depend on on who this is for and what else they're offering. I trust that when I get buy a console, it's going to do the things that a console is supposed to do. I don't trust this. I don't I don't know this. I don't trust it. I have no reason to to trust it. And I have no reason to spend $30 a month, especially with all the other uh, streaming services that people already opt into. Um, that's high. That's, that's, that's very high. Um, and there is a reality where spending, you know, having these rent, um, these bills ramping up 10, 20, 30 here, wherever, uh, a month feels worse than 
the big one purchase and then you're done. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's interesting because I think that there are definitely like it speaks to different kinds of consumers, you know, um, and I, I definitely I see where you're coming from because I feel like it's the kind of thing of like who needs this if you do opt into the traditional system, you know, um, but I don't know. I, I think I think if the price point is right, I could see. Like Thompson said, if it was like, if the library was really good for, especially if it's like on the cheaper end, if it's closer to like 10 or $15 a month, that's something I could definitely see investing in just so I can like test a game out, you know, that I'm like, not like I, oh, I, I don't really want to buy Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but I wouldn't mind kicking the tires and seeing if I'm interested in it. If it's $10 a month, everybody on earth is going to get it. Yeah, and then they'll make cheap. their fucking money. Though. That's too. That's too cheap. That that. There's no way. Not, but not if what you just said is right. If everybody on Earth gets it, then yeah, like. If Google's willing nah. to like, shell out for the licenses for things like Assassin's Creed Odyssey as the fucking beta, like that game came in out came out in October. I was playing it for free in November, and they gave me a full copy of the game in January to like have. If they're willing to pay that kind of money for licenses for this service, I think it could be absolutely a game changer. And I think that's the thing is like Google is a company like Epic where they can like afford to take the hit if 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 it means that they get an install base that they can capitalize in some in some way. And if that's getting data from them, if that's funneling money from YouTube, if it whatever it is, like you know, um, or again, just like subscription numbers. Uh, they might be willing to take that hit for a couple years to make it a thing and to prove that they're an entity here. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way, but that doesn't make any sense to me. I They've done it before. I can't imagine a reason why they would put that much money behind getting data. That doesn't make sense to me. That's... That, it's like that's, that's their, I don't think it makes sense to most people, but that's what they do, and it's crazy. It's their bread and butter. But that's what they I don't do, even. Yeah. I don't even think that would be, like, the primary reason, but I think it's probably that, like, all of those things might add up to making it so that the losses are so minuscule or that they're making a small profit that they can, like, afford to make some of these gambits, you know? Like, when we talked about Epic, where it's like they have, they're sitting on millions of dollars, you know? Um... Like, they can afford to be like, yeah, we'll undercut Steam's percentage cut by over 20% because we can afford to do so. And, it's be- and like, pay for all these licenses to, like, establish yourself, you know? And they're giving games away and, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, Google can also afford to take a hit because they have so many other parts of their business that are profitable. That's why they can afford to run YouTube at a loss for years, you know? Like, YouTube's never been profitable since Google's owned it. But they're, like, willing to take that loss to own the video platform on the internet, you know? That's a different thing than this. Because YouTube is the dominant... That's When people think of, of video streaming, they think of YouTube uh, only. And, yeah, you want to own that. You know, of course you want to own that. But Google's jumping into a space that they're not in. And that's a very different thing. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. 
Um, but I think they are at the like cutting edge of this idea, you know, of like the video game streaming service. Like that doesn't exist yet. Like there are other players in the field. You're definitely right. But I mean, like you could look at Sony or Microsoft entering the video game industry years ago when they were there were already established companies and competition. And it's like, yo, we got to drop a bunch of money and like stake our claim and see if we can like make it happen. You know, and like Google has the resources to do that. Yeah, know? but you're you're talking about them doing it at a loss. Sony didn't come in, and Microsoft didn't come into gaming to lose money. I mean, I don't that's think not the same. Sony and Microsoft for. I don't know if the PS3 did this because it was so expensive at launch, but I know most consoles like sell the box at a launch for at least the first few years to like get in and get that market share and get the the revenue cut from the software. Wait, what are you saying? He's saying that like most video game consoles don't make a profit when they're sold. You know, like they're sold either at cost or at a slight loss, and they make money back on the software. Sure. So it's like I, I think that's kind of what we're arguing. I think that's the but same no. If you're talking, is lose if you're some talking money about now to make more money in the future. Okay, if you're talking about a streaming service, you're not making money off the sale of the games. No, but you're making money off the subscription. So like, if you offer, if you spend the money to have a really attractive library and have people come in at a cheap entry point, if you get enough users, you become profitable. Okay. Well, it's just, you know, it's like, I think it's, it's like, it's a model that's proven to work with video. I don't think it's impossible for it to be made work with video games. I just think nobody's done it yet. And I think that's like what Google and Microsoft are now in the race to be the first to do right is like, hey, we're, this is the Netflix of games. Right. Yeah, well, again, I mean, you know, we're having this conversation, and we don't even know what their, what, what their, um, how they're going to present this to people. We don't even know that they're trying to do a Netflix of games, right? Uh, and you open this conversation by saying that, yeah. So, uh, you know, this, this, to me, ultimately, this announcement is much to do about nothing until we see some real hard facts about what is going to be expected of the individual. Then we don't know much. How do you mean, like, from a price point? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And how this functions. Well, there is a little bit of information on that. Um, in the uh, Tech Radar article, which is, like, the everything you need to know about it kind of thing, um, they did talk about, like, the specs, which Andy threw out a little bit earlier, um, which are not anything too crazy. And then when they talked about what it was uh, like to use, um, here is uh, the, the pull they had. So, like you pointed out, Sean, they won't let you play below a certain threshold of quality. Um, but when they te- they tested Project Stream on a bunch of different setups, um, and they played on an unstable 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection, a fast and nearby 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection, and then an uh, uh, like Ethernet connection, and um, like kind of like tested each different you know, like bandwidth. And then they also tested it on a five-year-old Chromebook, a two-year-old Razer Blade, and a modern desktop gaming rig that would be happy to run Assassin's Creed Odyssey at 1080p, 60 FPS on its own hardware. Um, so 
They said, across the board, we described the experience as at least playable. The highly dated Chromebook hardware didn't hold it back from playing. The biggest issues came from a bad connection. If the connection speed drops, so does the game quality, with lower resolutions, latency, and a far more noticeable compression. That said, in our experience, the visual degradation came before the latency, so we were able to continue battling enemies smoothly, even if they started to look like ghostly swarms of pixels. Overall, the graphics were fairly good throughout, and especially when playing on a high bandwidth connection using Ethernet cables. Colors, shadows, and anti-aliasing look fine, and the frame rate seems to be uh, seems to vary between 30 and 60 FPS. The, the low frame rate was one of the two issues we noticed. The other was compression. Most of the time, it's not super jarring, but when there's a lot of detail in a scene and a lot of movement, the compression turns into a little bit of slop. Character faces become a blur and hard edges. Noticeably, the character's hair goes soft. Will Stadia have fixed these issues by launch? It would seem to be a sign of lower bitrate enabling this time of streaming. But the truth is that most of the time it's unnoticeable and would even be harder to spot if you weren't looking for it. We were looking for it. Panning the camera and running through dense wooded areas in the game and combining the two were the only times we were turned off by the dips in visual quality. The experience isn't mind-blowing, at least until you remember that it's using so little of your computer's processing power that you've literally got a full system virus scan going in the background and nothing changed. The visuals are comparable to what you'd get on a console, except with compression artifacts here and there. And with a stable connection, it appears ra rather favorably, I'm sorry, it compares rather favorably to in-home streaming on a Steam Link. So, even at beta, it sounds like it runs pretty well. You know, Andy experienced it himself and said that it, it, it does run well. So I imagine that, you know, by the time they're ready to launch it, I think that I think we're going to be impressed by how well it actually works. Okay. But we'll see. It's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Because I don't think that your concerns are, um, like, not founded, you know, by any means. It's just like... I just, I just think, I think we're going to be impressed by it, honestly. The idea impresses me, and like what we saw impressed me, but it's very nebulous as far as like how far can I take this? You know, I mean, like I love this idea and I love everything about it, but like you know, games, money, you know, possible internet problems. Like it's not as portable as the Switch. You know, like to I could put it on my phone, let's say, and walk out, but <laughs> my my phone blows, you know, because the internet sometimes breaks on it, so. You know, it's weird for me because, like, I definitely am interested in this shit. I love the idea, but, like, I have the computer and I have the PlayStation, so it's, like... I'm, I'm really interested in Microsoft, to be honest with you, at this point. Like, because this got me, like, jazzed for that one. Because, like you guys were saying, you know, they are a gamer, like, you know, platform and all that. And and uh, hearing Spencer's, not Spectre's announcement, a little reaction thing, um, that, that got me excited for them in, in a way that I hadn't you know for this whole thing in a while and this definitely sparked my interest on it and i think i think microsoft can you know at least between these two when we get more information on, on this part when this when microsoft is announced and everything um i think there's going to be a good competition there which will be really healthy for both and i think that you know one of these is going to be in my my wallet soon there all are also a few other um things that they they like have talked about uh one of the things that i i forgot to mention when we were getting into some of the features was that like there's also going to be a few other like community things like allowing streamers to play like uh games with their audiences and stuff like that like setting up lobbies like through stadia so there's like a few other like kind of um 
you know, like things that could be disruptive. Like if Stadia really takes off, I wonder if that'll impact like Google's streaming market, you know, like the streaming on YouTube gaming. Like there's an audience there, but it's certainly not like the Twitch competitor they wanted it to be. And this could definitely influence that as well. So I wonder if that's part of the conversation too, is like if we can build an ecosystem here where we have gamers watching content on YouTube, buying the games and playing them on Stadia, streaming them here and interacting with each other and like, you know, all that is feeding into the, the YouTube Google ecosystem. It's, it's funny to hear that, like, you know, hey, let's make that work with, with this. Let's all integrate it and all that. I, I'm reminded of, like, Google Plus and all these other things. It's just, like, we, we make something cool, you know, but another company does it, like, better. You know what I mean? Like, they have, like, Google Glass and it's, like, all right, whatever, you know, it's fucking weird. You know, like, they, they come out with this and, like, Stadia is cool, but then, like, we'll hear, like, the Microsoft one and it's it probably going to, you know, be better. Like, historically, that's kind of the pattern I see with these things. So, like, this is fucking awesome and everything, but I just think that, like, you know, Kind of like putting the Konami code on the controller, you're almost trying too hard. Like, like yeah, it integrates with Twitch streamer, or I'm not, um, you know, streaming all this, and it's like, it's really hip and cool sounding. As I can see problems generating because of that then right there. I mean, the compression kind of sounds a little harsh too. Like, now that I'm reading back on that article a little bit, um, it might work and everything, but you said like the one thing turned to like a pixely blur, like... That's kind of suck ass if that's the only way you can play the game, too. Like, if you're locked into Yeah, I that. mean, if you're on, like, a bad Wi-Fi connection, yeah, it sounds like yeah. it's going to be a little bit, like, I, soupy. I soupy. Can, Interesting. I, I don't want to guarantee things on Google's behalf, but I'm willing to bet money that whenever this service launches, it's, like, it's got at least a week to at most a month of, like, try it for free, make sure it works. Oh, I'm, I hope so. I hope there's at least a trial thing. I'm Because I'm trying it as soon as there is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you because you used it and you and you have positive experience with it, so like you know, I'm more skeptical because I haven't used it. That's all. Yeah, I, I think the the fact that Andy used it and had a good experience is part of why I'm so like bullish about it. Yeah, I get that. I mean, you know, it's a hard line to make Andy say things are great. I I get that, and if he, like I, I'm interested more because of that, you know, like I would have just not like written this off kind of and said like I'm waiting for Microsoft's, but because you have experience with it, like that's great. You know, like I. Like, with the Switch, I wasn't really too interested until I picked it up one day, and I was like, holy shit, like, I get it now. So, that could be this for me, you know? I, I just need to, like, I would love to get my hands on this. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of shit going on, man. It's just so much shit happened at once. And this, like, whole week has just been, like, a dump dump truck of just I know, news. it's been crazy. <laughs> GDC was wild this year. <laughs> it's so much shit. Uh, so there was one thing that, that Thompson said that actually made me, um, like kind of, it reminded me of another thing where you said the thing about Google plus yeah. and I have, uh, an article here from Kotaku where they talked with, um, Phil, Sp- <laughs> not Phil Spencer or Phil Spector, Phil Harrison. There's a lot of Phil's. Yeah. In this episode. Uh, Phil Harrison, who's the Google Stadia like boss and, um, Kotaku called it Google Stadia boss answers and dodges our questions, which I thought was funny. <laughs> Um, but the, the one question they asked, is this another ambitious Google project that will disappear in a few years like Google plus? Oh, there you go. And his answer was, I understand the concern, but I think that you all have, uh, I'm sorry, but I think that all you have to do is to look at the level of investment that we have made and continue to make in Stadia. This is not a trivial project by any means. This is a very, very significant cross company effort that isn't just my team, but it's also across YouTube. It's across our technical infrastructure and networking team. It represents thousands of people who are working on this business. So that's pretty interesting. 
and then he also they asked what will it cost and he said i'm not going to talk about that today we will get into great detail about that in the summer and then she said is that announcement going to be at e3 and he said in the summer (laughs) so okay that's fair uh so yeah it's pretty interesting and uh, one other thing here that I've only seen in this interview is that uh, they mentioned that it'll work on Chromecast, but on Chromecast you will need to use the actual Stadio controller, which okay. I thought was interesting. Yeah. That's... So I guess if you're on a PC, you can use any of your USB controllers, but for TV, you're going to need that Wi-Fi uh, controller, which will, you know, uh, assist with latency as well. So interesting stuff. Um, and then just kind of the last little bit I wanted to touch on here is, uh, you know, as we all know. Any gaming platform is only as good as its games. Uh, and Google has announced its first uh, first-party studio, who's going to be led by Jade Raymond, who's a f- uh, former Ubisoft and EA executive. Okay. Um, so in uh, the announcement, Raymond said that the uh, first party will, quote, reimagine the new generation of games and will also be working with external developers to make all of the bleeding edge Google technology you've seen today available to partner studios big and small. So it seems like, um, oh, I'm sorry. So it, it's, it's called Stadia Games and Entertainment, and it's going to be comprised of multiple studios. Uh, so they're going to have like teams developing original first-party games for Google Stadia, but then they're also going to be supporting developers, like, to bring their games to Stadia and make the most of, like, all of the features that they talked about today. Like, having the Google Assistant stuff and, and all that kind of, you know, all that all those secondary features. Yeah. Um, but currently, they have Ubisoft, id Software, and Q Games announced as game development partners. So that's uh, pretty interesting. Id Software makes me think that I'm sure like there's the opportunity for other Bethesda titles to come to it as well. Probably, yeah. Um, but yeah, aside from that, uh, there's no other like converse. There's no other like information about like what other specific games they'll be working on or whatever. But uh, I thought this was interesting just because, you know. This, I think, also shows Google's desire to get into this space is that they're hiring people like Raymond and then also like Phil Harrison, who, you know, we talked about forever ago when he joined. He was <coughs> formerly uh, a, a executive at PlayStation and Xbox and then Jack Busser or a Busser. I'm not really sure, but who was the director of PlayStation Now and PlayStation Home. So there's like a pretty good mindshare here behind the studio. They're working on original IP and original games. Um so it, it seems like they're really all in here, and it's it's really just now remains to be seen what it's actually going to look like. Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably um, in terms of like for me personally, my desire to own this or you know use this uh, would come down to what the exclusive games are. Uh, I really don't care about um, anything other than that in terms of like because. The other games, like Assassin's Creed or whatever else, you could play that anywhere. What can you only play here? And Jade Raymond obviously has, you know, history. Um, she was one of the main people behind the original Assassin's Creed. And I personally didn't like that, but obviously that spawned a massive franchise. So what that tells me is that they brought on at least one person and then several more, as you mentioned. And people we probably would never know their names. Um, who have worked on games that have hit before. 
And so if this console, not a console, if this thing has <laughs> um, has pedigree behind it and games that are attractive that you can't play anywhere else, well, then that's a conversation. Yeah, and I, I think... I think this is another example of what we talked about with the Epic Store, where this could really be Google getting in here by resources and death by a thousand cuts of having a bunch of little things that you're like, any one of those things is enough for me to buy in, but whatever the one thing that gets you in, like gets you to buy into the platform and then you're in. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, but I'm very excited to hear about what Google has to say this summer for sure. Um... So, yeah, if you guys are uh, interested in weighing in, remember you can hit us up at thevideogamepals at gmail.com and uh, let us know what you thought about this or any other story. And make sure you write in for uh, next episode, episode 100, the uh, final episode of the Video Game Pals, at least for now. And uh, we want to hear your thoughts. You know, uh, write in with your questions. I'd love to have, like, a nice robust reader mail section for episode 100. So uh, please write in and let us know what you're thinking about. Any of the stories we discussed, your thoughts on uh, episode 100, any of that kind of shit. Um, and if you want to support the show, remember um, you can follow at the Comics Pals, wherever social media is sold. Get in touch with us there. Uh, you can like the video on your platform of choice, or I'm sorry, like the episode on your platform of choice. And, uh, you know, do all that internet stuff of liking, sharing, subscribing, getting in those comments. You know how to internet at this point. It's been 99 episodes. Uh, so, uh, before we get out of here, we're going to do some plugs. Sean? All right. So, uh, if you want more from me, I am on the Comics Pals, which posted the day before this. Uh, it was a big episode. We had C2E2 coverage. Uh, and uh, probably the, the most important thing, just the fact that the Disney-Fox merger has finally gone through. So, we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of that, and how we think that that's going to affect... Uh, Marvel's output of films going forward. If you want me on social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to chat about your thoughts about this uh, Google Stadia deal. You can find me over on Twitter at Tiger underscore Millions. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about Google Stadia, about Project X Cloud, about even PlayStation Now, which has been in this market forever, so it's weird to not see Sony being like, Hey, guys, look at this. <laughs> Thompson? You can find me on Twitter, at Relic Vampire. Uh, if you find the Skeletor, you know you're in the right place. The spirit of Char, Lotor, and Skeletor flows through me, and I hope I can impart that upon you. As for me, you can find me at Loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Catch me on the Comics Pals with Sean. Uh, make sure you tune in for our next book club dropping this week, uh, where we read a little bit of Shazam!, in, uh, from Jeff Johns running the New 52 in preparation for the film, which also comes out this week. So lots of cool comics content to look forward to over on the Comics Pals. Go check that stuff out. Uh, you can also catch me over at LootPots.com where uh, I do some Nintendo news and reviews and all that kind of stuff, host their weekly Nintendo podcast. So if you want to hear uh, a deep dive into the Nindy Showcase uh, from this week, you can go check that out. I wasn't on the episode, but it was still pretty good. Um, so yeah, go check that out and then, um, yeah, make sure again to get those letters in for episode 100 cause, uh, we are ramping up for, uh, the beginning of the end here. So, um, I'd love to hear from you and we'd love to read your thoughts on the air. So, uh, please make sure you get those in. 
And uh, until next time, we are the Video Game Pal signing off. We'll catch you next week. Take care, guys.